Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this Lord's Day thanking you for your goodness, for your grace. And as we were singing that, Jesus, be the center of our lives, be the center of your church. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that that be a reality in our lives, that we can say yes and amen to these uh, declarations, to this uh, beautiful song that should come from our hearts. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the ability to be able to gather, uh, for the privilege that we have to gather this way. And uh, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters in different areas, uh, that they are seated right now, and the ones who will be listening to this later, I pray that you bless their lives richly, and that your church will grow. Uh, your church will grow in knowing you more, loving you more, and looking more like you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So join me in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And um, uh, we're going to take a, a, a bigger chunk today. And we're already drawing near to the end of it. And uh, I've probably been saying that for a while now. But we are coming to the final destination of Philippians. And that's because there's no more after this chapter. And so... Um, uh, and so we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 14 to 19. Just take that chunk off. Um, and that's to, that we're closing off the last, uh, the last section that we did was Christian contentment, the last two teachings. And uh, today's going to be God will supply. Again, God will supply. And I'm going to pick up from verses uh, 10 just to catch the whole drift of this. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I seek from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless... You have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at my first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and, and, and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So after Paul makes this climactic statement that we finished off last weekend, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we spent a little while there, and I was focusing your attention in, in not the first part of it, but the second part of this, that it's not so much that I can do all things, right? But it's more that it's through him who strengthens us. So it is through him who strengthens us that we can do all things. And, uh, and I think that's just a proper understanding of, uh, of the view of when it comes to God uh, finding contentment and also that God will supply all the needs of the saints. You know, Paul made it clear to the Philippian church that, his provision came from the Lord, came from God directly, and he fully understood and trusted that God was the owner of everything and that all provision for health and daily needs should and would 
come from the Lord. You know, nevertheless, he says that you have done well, he tells them. You know, even though I do understand that everything comes from God, you know, then he addresses the church and he goes, you know what? But nevertheless, you have done well in sharing in my affliction. And, and this is what it is. We're, we're sharing in one another's affliction when we care for one another, when we love our neighbor. It's not just so much that we're depositing something in somebody else's hand. It goes beyond that it the love of neighbor it, you know we're sharing in the afflictions of our brothers and sisters in whatever way we can you know and paul was grateful for the provision of the church that they were partaking of the afflictions of that he was going in you know in, in a roman prison you know by sending a gift you know this is what it's about you know we're partakers of the gospel you know one way or another we should all be involved in the advancement of the gospel you know firstly by prayer you know by by being active in in christian uh, in Christian living, you know, and I mean active, not, you know, not that we're disactivated and just claiming that we're Christian, but that we are living Christian lives and advancing the gospel and also partaking in any way that we can with our resources to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ here and anywhere else in the world. The point is that the gospel should advance into places that it has not reached and also nourish those that it has reached. So Paul did not want, you know, his, um, his confidence in God, you know, to sound like he depreciated the church's gift. Because it can sound like that. Uh, that it, but he, he, makes, he makes it clear that he does appreciate the gift that the church gave him. You know, Paul was a churchman. You know, he loved the brotherhood. He loved the saints. And he recognized their noble deed that they had done. And, th and this is just, you know, even though, yes, everything comes from God, but he understood that God will use the people around him to bless his life. And he wanted to make sure that he s expressed his appreciation, expressed his gratitude to the actual people that God was using to bless his life. You know, being Christ-like is also allowing others to love you. You know, that's part of being Christ-like. You know, don't become so independent, uh, just you and God, that you, don't, that you don't see that God uses people to bless your lives in different areas. You know, that's how God works. We're a body. You know, not that you are the whole body yourself. We are members of the same body, and therefore we need one another. That's the way God instituted the church. That's the way God created us to be relational beings and to care for one another, especially in God's family and in God's household. You know, and so because we got to be careful that we... We must guard from overplaying at times godliness. You know, that becomes prideful. You know, and we don't allow others to love on us and care for us. You know, we got to be careful on this, that we don't let our humility in Christ become a prideful thing because that can happen. Uh, and so we, we, need to, we need to really watch that area, especially when it comes to uh, certain areas of our life. You know, the way Paul words it is, is pretty interesting how he, how he tells the church. You know, he, he, and it's worthy to know, it says that, not that I seek the gift itself, right? He says, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And, and that's just interesting how he plays his words. He goes, look, it's not like I was waiting here in this Roman rat-infested, poorly clothed, poorly fed prison, you know, a nice gift so I can eat something. He goes, but better yet, he goes, I, I you know, it, it increases only to your account because God blesses those who bless others. You know, God truly blesses the cheerful giver. You know, God uh, does not bless those who are giving grudgingly, complaining, um, because because it, it's uh, part of your checklist for the week. Paul, uh, uh, um, the Apostle Paul understood this, that God will bless them as they cheerfully give uh, in any way or form. 
You know, upon you, well, as a faithful teacher, that God will bless that church. You know, and, and this was part of, uh, uh, you know, um, of Christian growth and Christian discipleship. So as Paul saw their action, he knew that they were growing in certain areas of their faith. Remember, Paul planted the church about 10 years after, give or take. They write, you know, he writes his letter after the gift is sent over to him. So there was a, a, a time at a lapse. And he, it's, it's, it's just good as a teacher to see that what, you, what, you, what God used you for is, is still thriving. And not only that, but that the people are growing in different areas of the Christian maturity. Right? Because we can grow in, if we focus a lot on one area, we can be very, you know, uh, we can grow uh, a lot. We can mature in that area. But in our Christian growth, there's a lot of areas that we need to, we need to cover. It's not just... You know, learning to pray and pray and pray and not do anything. No, it's not just reading the Bible, read the Bible and learn about the Bible and not do anything. No, it, there has to be a certain balance in our Christian life of growing in the graces of God, in the truths of God, and learning to be more like him in all aspects of life. And this is our lifelong process of loving God and loving neighbor. And so this was something that was, I'm sure, brought joy to Paul as he expresses, you know, spiritual disciplines are cultivated, you know, and Paul was, uh, was more blessed to see, you know, than not simply hear that his brethren were growing in this area. You know, he could have heard, you know, that the Philippian church is a very giving church, that they're prospering, that they're, that they're expanding the gospel, but it's another thing to see and experience it, especially in his circumstances. You know, so Paul puts it in words that sounds like an investment, right? That it's more beneficial to your account, he says. So he words it like an investment, you know, and that's what it really is at the end of the day. You know, when we invest into the kingdom of God in any way, you know, that is truly what it is. It's an investment into the eternal things and not just the earthly things. But where we put not just our mouth, not just our mind, not just our heart, but our resources in, you know, that really says who we are. Uh, you know, so this is, you know, Paul was wording like an investment. And, and the church, that's what it was to the church. You know, to put the kingdom of God first is an investment in the Christian life. That is not just a line that we say that to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But that ought to be a reality that our whole life. That Jesus be the center of our lives, as we sang, that be a reality. That everything we do is for the glory of God. If we give a cup of water to somebody in the name of Jesus, you know, we'll receive a blessing for that. You know, if, if we help a brother, if we help a sister, if we give time, if we give our gifts, our talents, our abilities, it, whatever thing that we can, our life ought to be a, a, an open letter. We ought to be uh, read by all that Jesus is Lord in our lives. And we do that by the way we live our lives and express ourselves, not just by the way we speak. Anybody can speak with kingdom words, but not every, everybody lives with kingdom principles. You know, a lot of people sound really good when they speak. You know, they, they sound marvelous. You know, they got the tone. They got the right words. They got the Colgate smile. They got charisma. They got everything going for themselves. You know, but it's not really that that should impress us. It should be, how does that person actually live? You know, we, I hope that throughout the whole book of Philippians, you at least take that out of it. That Hummer pressed you to look at lifestyle. You know, look at my lifestyle. Look at each other's lifestyles. Look at lifestyle. It's not enough to look at words. We should not be impressed by words. We should be impressed by people who live godlike. 
lifestyles that that that, that exemplify Christian values that lift up uh, moral values in their own life, not just in speech. Uh, you know, it's it's in word and deed that matters. So I, I, I hope that we understand that, that, that Paul was about the lifestyle of the Christian. That's why he didn't want to just hear of their, of their growth, but he wanted to see their growth. And that was a true joy for him. You know, whenever someone contributes to a noble cause, you know, something that will help encourage, uh, uh, reduce suffering, help somebody, you feel good and honored for doing that. You know, when, whenever we contribute to any sort of good cause, you know, how much more when we do it in the name of Christ, when we do it because of Jesus Christ, when our foundation is because of Christ, when we give, when we help, when we do whatever in this society, we do it in the name of Christ. That when somebody asks us, why did you do that? Because of Jesus Christ. Because I'm a follower of Christ. Not just because I want to do a good deed. But the, the, the motive behind it is much more important than just the deed. Right? The foundation of why we do what we do is what matters more than just doing the good deed. And so, you know, that, that's, that's a gospel strategy that we, uh, you know, that we live out in this world. That everything we do is for the glory of God. You know, and that there's a sincere desire for the well-being of others. You know, to, to grow in the grace and truth, uh, to grow in grace and truth, you know, uh, uh, of Christ Jesus, you know, that's what it, that, that's what it means, right? It, it also means that we care for the well-being of those in the church and those outside of the church, right? The love of neighbor is not just for the family of faith. It's for, the, for, for all, right? And that we care for the well-being of mankind, you know, and that can be folded out and, 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 uh, and explained in different ways, and we're not going to do that right now. But we should care for the well-being. We should care for truth in all aspects of life, not just in religious aspects, but everywhere. We should care for what is the truth, not what is my opinion, not what I prefer, but what is the truth. What, you know, what, what is, what, what is going to benefit um, um, mankind in this aspect? And so we should care about these things. Yes, will it make us uncomfortable? Of course it will. Will it challenge us? You bet it will. You know, will it make us change our mind? Possibly. Because it's not about us. The love of neighbor is about the love of neighbor. It's about making God known through the way that we live our lives. And that is uncomfortable at times. It's not, it was never meant to be easy. Um, loving is not easy. Loving is risk. You know, loving can cause, uh, uh, maybe, maybe the person doesn't love you back. Uh, you don't know, you know, and so we don't know what to expect in life. As said the writer of Ecclesiastes, it might be love, it might be hate. Man does not know what to expect in life. And that's the reality. We don't know, but we are called to be a loving people. We are called to demonstrate Christ through the way that we live our lives, regardless of the consequence, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of, of how people act. We are called to be like him and care for the well-being of others. You know, this is a great lesson that we see, you know, to learn that our generosity is something of high value. Our, the, the, the way we live our lives and we are generous in all aspects is to be held and in high value in our lives. And not to be, you know, and, and that will help us not be so attracted and, and to the things and the stuff of life, you know, because that, that, that draws our attention a lot, you know, the, the possessing more things, more stuff, and not really giving. Uh, and so th th this is, this is going to be the constant battle within uh, our lives because we live in a materialistic world. And so 
And comfort feels good. And, and possessing things, you know, it, it feels good to the flesh. But we all know that at the end of the day, it brings no real value, no real feeling. Uh, but what truly blesses uh, our lives is when we live lives as God has called us to live and be a giving people. You know, I want us to think for a moment, you know, of our brothers and sisters. You know, thinking of Paul's situation, I was thinking of how to, how to better picture this. And so for a moment, I want us to think of our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. Right. Let's stop thinking about ourselves and our church and and our fellowship. And let's think about others for a moment. You know, and in Hebrews 13, three, it says that remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. We are commanded by God not not just to talk about it, but to actually, you know, remember the prisoners Remember those who are in chains and bonds, you know, just like it was back then, it is now. And so for a moment, I want us to understand, you know, uh, uh, that there is a reality outside of our, outside of our, our bubble uh, here that we live in. You know, let me introduce you to some family, um, just so you're introduced to other people. Let me introduce you to Pastor Wang Yi, all right? On December 30th, of this past year, he was sentenced to nine years in a Chinese prison. That was just December, okay? And under a secret trial where no one was allowed to attend, including his attorney. His family is in house arrest until this day. And he, and he, he was charged, this is his crime, instigating subversion of state power. Instigating subversion of state power. In other words, leading people to Christ. All right. You know, according to his attorney, this Presbyterian pastor, Wang Yi, will not appeal his nine year sentence. You know, better yet, he's going to serve the nine years, he said. And the reason, you know, his lawyer said that God is working through his life in jail. So he said, you know what? I, I, I can preach the gospel to more people being inside of this Chinese horrible condition, communist uh, prison. He goes, but. In this prison, I can serve God more freely than I can outside. So the pastor is serving Christ in jail as we speak right now in a Chinese prison with no rights whatsoever. And so, and, and, and the ministry is moving and growing in that area. And, and again, we, his family is in house arrest. The church members of that church, a lot of them were already released and with restrictions. And some of them uh, have chosen to continue. Some of them, obviously, um, there's other situations. I don't know. Uh, we don't know who they are. Uh, but they're spread out all over China, different people. Let me introduce you to another brother. In North Korea, we have a brother named Deacon Jang. He goes by that name. You know, he was handing out uh, Bible training classes from his home and to evangelize North Koreans. For those of you that don't know about North Korea, I suggest that you look into it and you understand how severe it's bad, it is over there. You know, officials arrested him and sentenced to him. Better yet, he was kidnapped, not just arrested. Right? He was kidnapped and then he was arrested. So make sure we add that in there. To, for, he was arrested and he was sentenced for 15 years for his ministry in North Korea. So, and, and little is known about him. That's all we really know. Because North Korea is so uh, tightly closed uh, um, and that we don't even know. And so, um, but, but other prisoners have seen him in jail. And they've testified that Deacon Jang is preaching the gospel and he's okay in prison. You know, because of North Korea doesn't participate in international postal system, of course they don't, right? And it, it is not possible to send letters to him in North Korea. These are the just 
two brothers of ours that are in different parts of the world. You know, and in all these facts, you know, if you want to look more into it, which I, I, I recommend that you do, you know, go on Voice of the Martyrs uh, website, and you can go to other websites, and you can actually see real accounts, uh, real stories of people that as we speak, as we live in this freedom, uh, uh, um, in, in this place of freedom for right now at least, right, that, you know, that we have to preach the gospel, they're actually being persecuted literally as we speak. You know, they're not so concerned about what am I going to wear tomorrow? What am I going to drive? What am I going to eat? They're concerned about making the gospel known. They're not so concerned about uh, the stuff and the things of life because they got other more press, they got other pressing needs. First Peter tells us uh, something about this. He says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, you know, and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Right. The church has always lived under persecution in different parts of the world. The church has never really been welcomed into the world for we are not of the world. And Jesus said himself, if the world hates you, don't worry because they hated me first. In other words, it is to be expected that we will be hated by the world. You know, it's worrisome when the world loves you, when 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 they love everything about you and they have nothing to speak bad about you. That ought to worry about, you know, Jesus being sinless and perfect was crucified as a criminal. You know, that ought to set an alarm for our lives. Am I living a gospel life or am I living a conformed life to this world? You know, for it is better if God will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than rather than doing what is wrong. You know, if we are going to suffer in this world, which we will, everybody, each and every one of us will experience suffering, we might as well suffering, we might as well go through suffering for that which is righteous, for that which is good, instead of suffering for being, uh, you know, for being knuckleheads, for making bad decisions, right, for being hard-headed, stiff-necked, for being prideful, uh, for envying, for coveting, for lying, for all these things that are, that are um, against God's will, so I want to introduce you to those to a couple of people just so we understand and we grasp that there is a reality out there that we can be a blessing to. There is a community of believers that are is outside of our little bubble that we live in and, and that is actually that, it, that are actually going through so many things as we speak. And the more that we are aware of it, the more that we are saturated with this knowledge that that there's Christian suffering all over the world, the more um, that it ought to impulse us to be a generous community in different aspects of our lives and to see how much we have already, how rich we are in this, in this nation. And thank God for that. You know, we are very blessed. But that blessing is because we ought to be a blessing to others and not just be so focused upon ourselves and our well-being. You know, as a community of faith, we should look for opportunities to participate with our brothers and sisters. You know, praying is a gift. You know, we don't pray enough for them. You know, if we want to gift them, we ought to first be praying for them. Praying that God will lift them up. In fact, if you don't know how to pray for them, just go on the Voice of the Martyrs website and they'll give you 10 ways to pray for them. And they're never going to ask, you know, pray for money, uh, pray for uh, possessions, pray for things, pray for a nice car, uh, pray for this. No, they're going to they're gonna say pray that the gospel advance. Uh, pray for, for things that are, that are kingdom-minded. And you'll be surprised in the way that those who have nothing pray compared to us who have everything. It, it, you almost feel uncomfortable at the fact that we pray for more comfort being in a comfort-filled world and them having nothing pray for the advancement of the gospel. 
Better yet, in fact, the, the, they, the, when you read this, they, they, it says how the Chinese church prays for our well-being. You know, for, for, they, they pray that we will open our eyes to see how, uh, you know, how clouded we are, how, uh, how, um, how stuck we are to live in this uh, materialistic uh, Babylon that we live in. Uh, that we don't even realize how we're enslaved uh, to, to, to the comforts of this world. That's another message for another time. There, you know, so praying is a gift. Not only that, writing a letter is a gift. You can write a letter to them. You know, there's, there's ways to write words of encouragement to our brothers in prison. We've done it many times before uh, in our fellowship. But you can do it yourself. You, you can go on there. You can pull uh, those that we can reach. Obviously, North Korea. Your letter is not going to get anywhere near North Korea, I tell you that much. But there's other parts that we can encourage our brothers and sisters. There's other parts of the world. You know, and also sending a love offering. You know, there's places in the world, you know, that we can send a a gift uh, to buy buy a a bike. So that way they can get Bibles from one village to another. You can send a gift to buy chickens. So that way the, 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 the church or the family can have money to produce eggs, to buy food, and so forth. You could buy a donkey for them. You could buy a cow. And I'm not even joking. You could do these things. Uh, th- there's different ways to contribute. And, and obviously, we don't think of these things because we walk into a grocery store, we walk out, and we got prime meat. But in other parts of the world, it's not like that. And so it's good that we are, we're aware of this. You know, these are real people with real persecution that have real faith. And as Paul experienced this, I'm sure that we can partake nowadays. I'm sure that this could be more than just a pretty letter, more than a nice story, and then we move on like we never read it. We can actually partake in this nowadays and be a blessing to others. You know, as the church in Philippi put their interests aside, their personal interests, to help a brother in Christ that was in prison. You know, we too should seek this type of selfless attitude when opportunities arise. And believe me, there are plenty of opportunities. You don't even need to look too far. You will find opportunities all over the globe. And so, uh, and so there's different ways of contributing resources or contributing prayer, contributing any way we can to the advancement of the gospel. You know, Paul tells them this, and, the, this, and he describes the gift in such beautiful um, metaphorical language, right? He says, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. You know, for somebody in prison to say that they have an abundance, right, you know, that, that's pretty profound language. Again, we have to understand the context, Right? It's not like he's sending it to somebody who's sitting down in Hawaii, right, by the beach. They got everything going for themselves or, you know, or, you know sitting down drinking a cup of tea in front of a fireplace. No, he's in a Roman cell. And he says, you know, I have received everything in full and have in abundance. You know, and he says, I am amply supplied. I haven't received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. L- l- look at the, the, the description of this gift, how he words it. You know, like I said, he was using a sort of metaphorical language, obviously, that the church would understand because he was echoing language from the Old Testament that they would know. And so, you know, that, like, for example, the fragrant aroma or a soothing aroma that you find continuously in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Leviticus. You know, so they would understand this, uh, this terminology that it was common uh, throughout the Old Testament. 
And this was an acceptable sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Uh, and, and this is the only kind, you know, that produces a fragrant aroma, that which is the perfect sacrifice. If we look at the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, people didn't bring their leftovers. People didn't bring, what you know, that, that, that little goat with three legs. No, they brought the best. You know, they didn't bring the one-eyed pigeon. They brought the best. And so they didn't bring the leftovers. And that is something that we just don't get. They gave the first fruits to God. And however that looked, their crops, uh, the, the, their animals, uh, the, the best of that they possessed, the first was for the Lord. That's something that we should practice, that we give the Lord the best of our life, the best of our time, the best of our energy. Give Him the best. And this goes in all areas of life. You know, we, we don't just give the, the, the leftovers. That is not the way that Christians ought to be living their lives. Um, and so that ought to be a, just a reminder that we observe and we examine our own walk with Christ. You know, our giving at times, it will be sacrificial. You know, at times, um, you know, helping others will not come when everything is going well in your life, maybe. You know, it, it, it's going to, in fact, I don't even know what that even means when everything is going perfectly well. Because if, if I'm correct, in the world that we live in, nothing goes, you know, perfectly well. If it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not your health that's messed up, your car breaks down, you got crisis, you don't got a job, or your job sucks, or whatever it is. You know, you, you, there's just no pleasure in this life. You know, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, and you quickly find out. And so our giving at times, or most of the time, will be sacrificial, right? If we do it in, in, in uh, the way that God has called us to do it, it'll be a sacrificial giving. And, and we should do this joyfully, cheerfully. That's the message of the gospel, that, 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 that through Christ, uh, that first of all, that we can, we, can, we can do all things through him. But not only that, that even our giving can be in, in a joyous way, in a cheerful way. You know, not grudgingly or complaining. You know, uh, may, you know, may we give ourselves completely to God so that whatever else we do will not be so difficult. You know, when we give our heart over to God, He owns us. You know, He sits at the throne of our hearts, not stuff, not materials, not, uh, not uh, uh, a better me. Uh, no, it, it's, it's Jesus Christ. And, and again, that's not a cliche. That's the reality. He has to sit at the throne of our hearts in order, to, in order for Him to govern our lives, in order for us to live out Christian-filled lives. And that's when Romans 12, uh, uh, to allude to this text, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, there's just this connection here in Paul's, in Paul's echoing of the Old Testament in both, in both parts. And because this sacrificial system, this understanding would be something that they, they, would, they would fully grasp. And that is something that we need to train ourselves to understand because we don't, we're not raised in a sacrificial system. Uh, we, we, we didn't come up that way. And so we must understand the context and the depth of this uh, to truly see the meaning behind it. That we ought to give our bodies as this gift, first of all. Not just our stuff. God wants the heart of man. He wants everything. 
You know, your stuff is not important to God. What he cares about is your soul. What he cares about is your heart, your mind, your strength. He wants that. He wants you as a person. And everything else should come as a result of him owning our hearts. Um, and so Paul, you know, he reassures the saints that God, you know, he sees all things. All right. God knows all things. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. You know, that's why the psalmist would say over and over, God, you know, God, you know, God, you know, because he does know. He knows when we do it uh, wholeheartedly. He knows when we do it grudgingly. He knows when we're doubting. He knows it all. That's why we need to be sincere with him. We need to be uh, completely open in our prayer life and say, God, help me in these areas for you already know. And that is the truth. You know, and that's why I said, therefore, he will supply all your needs, Paul tells the church, you know, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all your needs, important, not your wants, your needs of life. There is a difference. And so he, God, just like all of you can testify right now listening uh, that God has supplied everything that you needed yesterday, he'll give you the grace that you need today just and, and the next day. For we are not even promised tomorrow. You know, don't spend all your time worrying about tomorrow when you, on, when you only got today. You know, in reality, tomorrow may never come. You know, for many, over 150,000 people today never came. That's how many people die every day over 150,000 people. And so for those people that made plans for today, they're gone. That was it. They lived their life, and whatever they did, they did, and whatever they didn't, they didn't. It's done. Everybody, um, you know, uh, remembers them for two weeks, three weeks maybe, four weeks if they're close. After that, they're gone. Think about it. That's really how life is. And, and, you know, you remember for a while, um, even if you do something great in this life, something very noble. You know, people remember you once in a while, and then you're gone. What really mattered was how did you live your life for Christ? Did you invest in the kingdom of God, or did you not invest? Or did you just live for yourself, right? And so he knows our needs, and he will provide according to his riches. And believe me, we want to tap into his riches beyond whatever riches that we can possess in this world. And so that's just words of wisdom. It's better to look for his riches than pursue our riches. You know, our great God is transcendent, benevolent, and a good God to all people. Even the wicked, he is good to them. He makes a shine, the, the sun shine upon the righteous and the wicked. He brings rain upon the righteous and the wicked. He is a good God to all. But we have recognized that that good God is our Lord and our Savior, and we bow the knee to him. But even then, he is still good to all. You know, the Christian claim is this, that there is a God and that he is not like us. Yet he became like one of us, taking on flesh, and he gave himself for us. His life was the greatest love offering, the greatest gift, and he became the acceptable sacrifice in our place. And what Christ accomplished was a fragrant aroma of passion, of love, and of true goodness and virtue. And it was well-pleasing to God. Think about that. Amy Carmichael said these words, and they're very true. She said, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything I do be called sacrifice? When I consider the ultimate gift, when I consider who Christ was, what Christ, how, what Christ endured, how he died, 
When I consider the cross, how can anything I do be considered a sacrifice? Let me conclude with these words. God who supplied salvation for man will supply all your needs, brothers and sisters, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. For those who love God, the Christian contentment will rest upon him and upon this. God will supply as God has supplied. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this Lord's Day thanking you, God. As we visit the scriptures and our minds reflect upon um, the now, uh, the today, the, how I'm living, I pray that you can give us insight and, uh, and that you can help us to be sincere with ourselves and, and, and how we live our lives and how we use our lives and use what you've given us in this life. I pray that we will all examine ourselves in our walk with you, our faithfulness with you, and that we will truly trust you, that we, we, that we can truly say that you are our God, that you are the transcendent, good, benevolent creator, and that you look after us, and that you truly care for us as you do for the birds of the air, for the lilies of the field. How much more won't you feed and clothe us? I pray that we will trust you more and be less doubtful, that we will trust you more and be less anxious in life. We will trust you more and live a life that resembles that. I thank you for the privilege, God, to be able to uh, just read and listen to your word. And as we thought about our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world, we pray at this moment, God, that you strengthen them. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know uh, what, what pain they're suffering. We don't know how they feel being torn from their families. Uh, we don't know how it feels to uh, be alone in a cell in a, in a third world country, God. And I pray that you give them strength. I pray that in their cell, wherever they are, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you give them joy, peace, and comfort, and you set their gaze upon the things that matter in this world, and that you give them uh, uh, riches in that place where they are, God, that you give them joy, peace, that you watch over their families, Lord, and that you use us, the church, to bless their lives through prayer, uh, through writing a letter, uh, through sending a gift, that you will move our lives uh, to do this individually or collectively, Lord. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to pray for them. And again, we pray for the churches. Uh, we pray for the missionaries. We pray for the persecuted, that you bless their lives in, in great ways, Lord. For the reward is great for those who choose you now. And we bow our knees today to you, God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.